All right, if you would please have a seat this morning. Um, I uh, have the great privilege of starting off a new book of the Bible this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Galatians, Uh, so please open it up, even if you were tempted just in that brief moment to go ahead and close it back up after it was read, open it back up so that we can be there. And um, uh, I want you to know the name of this sermon series, before we even get started on it, is Freed by Faith. Uh, Freed by Faith uh, has been very specifically chosen uh, not only because of uh, what the book says, uh, but also because of the time that we are in, uh, some of what uh, God, we, we think that God is going to be speaking to us over the next many weeks that we're going to be in the book. Now, here's what you need to know. Uh, the, the elders of City Church do uh, not trust ourselves, frankly, to like come in and give you the right words. In fact, you might even be tempted to think, man, uh, the beginning of August is so close to the beginning of September. What are you doing? Why are you starting a book of the Bible here in August? And the reason why is very simple. Uh, we felt called to go to Galatians, and God didn't provide another word for us to go to uh, over the next few weeks. And so we have very specifically just chosen to dive straight into the book of Galatians. So here's, here's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, and we're going to find out just how deep this freed by faith theme is. And so what I want to do is actually begin just by asking you to think about what the word freedom even means. Uh, There's going to be a lot of things that we kind of tie in to the word freedom. And I want to ask you this in maybe a little bit different way, get at it a little bit of a different way. I want to ask you specifically, if you had the will to do anything, If you weren't constrained by any kind of earthly or celestial kind of uh, uh, thing that you thought that you were tied to, if you just had total and complete freedom of will, uh, what is it that you would use that total freedom for? What is it that you would do first? If you could do anything, uh, this is a, a question so simple, like our children can definitely kind of enter into it. What would you do if you could do anything? My imagination says is that there are like a litany of things that could come to our minds. Why? Because this is a very difficult concept to kind of get our heads around. There are so many different things. What is even meant by freedom of the will? One way of thinking about this would be the ability for like self-determination. In fact, here in the United States, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Supreme Court has actually defined Uh, our ability to have freedom in such a way that we have the ability to determine oneself, self-determination. That's kind of what the uh, codified definition of freedom is. This week I was listening to a a podcast that had reminded me of a book that I've meant to pick up uh, really for years that my wife has uh, read, and that is Orthodoxy by uh, G.K. Chesterton. And they actually read the first, uh, it's actually the second chapter, they read the first part of the second chapter uh, just in the podcast, and I thought, man, what a great way of kind of getting at what freedom is. Uh, It's not just the freedom to do anything. What is it? Chesterton uh, says that he tells this story about him walking along the road with a really famous well-to-do publisher, a person who publishes books, and uh, as they were going along, they were kind of walking through the streets of uh, the English town that they were in, and they saw a man who was trying really hard at something, and the man actually, the publisher said of that man, uh, he's going to do just fine. He's going to get along, and the reason why was very specific. 
It was because he believes in himself. That man will get along because he believes in himself. Now this came, I mean, uh, you know, decades and decades before the self-esteem movement kind of got its traction. But the answer was really the same. He's going to do just fine because he believes in himself. And Chesterton, uh, never a man to take things that are quite that simple, decides to respond back to him. And he says, uh, I know men who believe in themselves more colossally than Napoleon. He goes on to say, I can guide you to the thrones of Superman. I know these types of people. The men who really believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. Now, now, whether he's talking about literally, uh, because he was actually walking along the way, and he, they saw a lunatic asylum, and it came to his mind that that's where people that really believed in themselves actually were, or whether he was talking about it figuratively, Chesterton is saying that the people that believe in themselves most drive themselves crazy or enslaved in some other kind of way. Well, if a man is not to believe in himself, the publisher asks, in whom... Or in what is he to believe? Here's what we're going to discover this morning. We're going to discover that if freedom of the will ends in enslavement of oneself, we're going to ask the question, where can true freedom be found? And what we're going to find in Galatians is this. This is going to be kind of what we're going to pull out of the text. This is the words of Galatians kind of answering the question of where true freedom can be found. We find that we are set free from sin by faithfully submitting to our Savior. I'm going to say that again. We will find ourselves set free from sin by faithfully submitting to a Savior. But we've got to kind of understand three things before we can get there. The first thing that we've got to understand is Paul's apostleship. We've got to understand Paul's apostleship, and then we've got to understand how we receive our deliverance. That's the word that's used there in verse 4. And then third and finally, we've got to understand whose grace and whose glory. That's kind of the path for us this morning. So a little bit of context. We've got to start a book with a little bit of context. Uh, The people that the book was written to is the name of the book. So that's kind of the layup shot there. It's not uh, one of these books that's named by the author or who who it's being written to as a person, but it's actually the people of Galatia. Now, Galatia wasn't like a nation. It was a region that was a part of, most of it was part of the uh, Roman Empire. And it was essentially the center section from north to south of modern-day Turkey. And what we know from uh, not this last sermon series that we were in in uh, Haggai, but the one before that in Acts, we know that Paul went through this region twice. Now, what we think is, is that Paul was writing to these Galatian churches uh, in between these two trips. And there's a few reasons why. We'll unpack that in future uh, Sundays. But what we understand is, is that he went through the towns of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and now is writing to them probably sometime around 48 A.D. One of the reasons why we think that is because he, uh, he goes, he plants these churches, and then he's writing this letter back to them. And uh, there in verse 6, if you scroll down, you can see that he actually says how quickly it is that you fall away from the one true gospel. It's quick. So it wasn't decades and decades after he had been through these towns. It was very quick that they had started falling away. So we think that this was written sometime around 48 AD. And Paul is writing to these churches, most likely in southern Galatia. 
That's what we have the most evidence for. But what he's writing for is the false teachers with false gospels that have kind of quickly come in and led many astray with their teachings. These false teachers with false gospels had come in and taught them different gospels than the one true gospel that he had taught them. And he's going to be writing to them to urge them and encourage them in something very specific. So Paul starts his letter with great authority. He wants them to listen up, to pay attention. He wants to shake them a little bit out of these false teachings that he knows that they are receiving. So the first thing that we've got to have a foundation for is Paul's apostleship. It says this, the very first words of this letter is Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and the Father. So, so what is it that we're supposed to make of this word apostle? This word apostle is something that you might have lots of different thoughts about. There are actually two different concepts in Scripture about who an apostle is, but here he is using a very specific way that the word is used, and it's the messenger, the one who is sent. An apostle is one who is sent. It implies that he has the authority Not his own authority, but authority that's given to him. Someone who is sent out doesn't send necessarily themselves. They're sent by by someone with authority, with their authority to go and give a message. That's what apostle means in this instance. But he says that it's specifically a type of authority. It's not from men nor through man. He tells us that his authority isn't from some centurion. It's not a military kind of authority. It's not from a judge with judicial authority. It's not a governor with political authority. Paul has a purpose. He's being sent with a message to combat messengers with a man-centered gospel. And he says, he says specifically, I'm an apostle. I'm a messenger. I have authority. But it's not a manly authority. It's not some sort of celestial authority. It's not something that's here on this earth. It says Paul, an apostle, through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying that his authority is from Jesus Christ and God the Father who actually raised him up. And I don't think that it's an accident that he's actually connecting these two things. Paul is saying that he has the authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So this apostle is not just a message In the Bible, this is someone who is seeing the risen Christ. He's attaching the fact that he has authority to the fact that he has seen the risen Jesus. Now, here's my imagination this morning. If you're really wanting to know what an apostle is, has anybody in this room seen the risen Jesus? Anybody? Well, Paul had. And what he's saying is that that's not just like an instance in his life or a circumstance in his life that may have shaped him. It's actually something that gave him authority to go and take a message. When we think about apostles, we think about the disciples, right? We think those men were men who saw the resurrected Jesus. And to 11 of those disciples, because one of them had uh, betrayed Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me 
Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Who has the authority? Jesus has the authority. Who does he give it to in this instance? The apostles. And he's sending them out as messengers. Are there other ways of using the word apostle and kind of a lowercase apostle? Absolutely. I think that we all have, in some sense, a sentness in the Great Commission. But do we have it the same way that Paul does? Can we write with the same authority that he does? No. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He's seen the resurrected Christ, and therefore, there's a certain amount of authority that we have to pay attention to. He's shaking us right from the very beginning. Paul, an apostle, not a man, but of Jesus Christ and God the Father, the one who said all authority in heaven on earth, I've spoken to him. He's given me a message, and I have it for you, dear Galatians. Paul has a message received from the resurrected King Jesus with all authority for whom? For the Galatians. If we just look at the book of Galatians, what Paul is saying is, I've got authority to speak to you. These churches that I've planted, the churches throughout the region of Galatia, I have authority for you and I'm going to carry a message to you. But here's what we also get from this. Paul is speaking with authority from Jesus, and Jesus' authority never wanes. It never goes away. It doesn't diminish. We'll hear people from time to time say, I could never be a Christian. They just follow this book that was written uh, ages and ages ago, to which I respond, if you have a king that is seated in the high heavenly places, and he speaks to a man like Paul, and Paul is inspired by the Spirit, and he writes it down in a letter, and we have treasured this from time, is there any chance that the message that Paul has has diminished in value? The answer is no. So when I ask you, who does Paul have the authority to speak to, we today here in this room must, we must, we must say that he is speaking also with the authority for us. Paul is speaking with the authority from Jesus, writing a letter in the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostle, the messenger, has the authoritative word from the king. And so I want to ask you something this morning. Are you listening? Not just this morning. Are you going to study this book alongside of me? Are you going to study this book as a group of people? Here, in the first five verses, we actually see that Paul writes this with all authority, but he also includes the people that are with him, that they're all sending this message so that there might be unity of faith, so that there might be unity in understanding the gospel. Are we together to receive this word to Galatians as something that has impact, authority for you? I hope so. I hope you'll commit to joining us over the next many weeks as we study this authoritative word. Why? Because Paul has a message of freedom. Paul is writing to the Galatians that they might be free, but he's also writing to us in the Spirit that you might be free. 
You see, the letter of Galatians is a letter of emancipation. And I wonder this morning, what kinds of things are binding you up? What kind of sin is restraining you? What kind of enslavement you are feeling? What kind of false teachers there are that are out there that you are listening to? What kind of false gospels have gripped your heart? And I wonder if you would listen to the authoritative word of God by way of Paul the Apostle. I hope so. So we understand in some sense Paul's apostleship, his authority, but second, we've got to understand our deliverance. It says this, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. This is verse four. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, now deliverer is a weird word. We think of delivery, you might think of Amazon. That somebody's just like giving you something, that you ordered it online and it showed up at your door. That's not the kind of deliverance that he's talking about. Deliverance here means to be set free. To set free, to set at liberty, to rescue, to save. But it says specifically from something. To save us, to deliver us, to set us free from the present evil age. Now, this is interesting because that, uh, that language probably sounds familiar to you because of uh, Jesus' words in the, uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer where he prays, he teaches us to pray that we might be delivered from evil. But here, the specific structure of what he is saying here, delivered from the present evil age, is something that's really not found anywhere else in Scripture Paul is talking about something really specifically, and he's using unique words to get attention. He's saying that I'm writing you that you might be delivered from the present evil age. What what, what is he talking about, the present age? What he's saying to the Galatians is, uh, I'm praying that you might be released from the present evil age today. He's saying we're living in a present age, and that age happens to be evil And so maybe we would be tempted to think that he's talking about something that was happening in the first century. But the truth is, is that nothing has happened since the first century. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised from the grave and then ascended into heaven where he's been ever since. Paul is writing a letter and nothing new has happened. He's writing to us today as well. That this letter of emancipation actually is meant for us today that we might have deliverance from the present evil age. But he doesn't just say the present age, meaning today. He says that it's evil, it's dark, it's chaotic, it's filled with injustice. To which we might look around ourselves and say, maybe Paul the Apostle has a word for us today that we might be delivered from. I don't know if I'm being honest with you, everything that's, break, uh, that's kind of baked into that phrase, but here's one thing that I do know. I do know that the thing that binds, the thing that shackles, the thing that ties us to the present evil age is mentioned, and it's mentioned in verse 4. It says, sin. Paul has been sent with the authority to proclaim a message of deliverance, a message of freedom. And here's a question. Is this deliverance something that has already been received by the Galatians? Or is this something that they are receiving for the first time? And in order to answer that, I think we have to look at verse 4. Look and see. Is it present tense? 
or is it past tense? If you had to guess, if it's something that they've already received based totally on verse 4, what would you say? It says the word gave. This has already been given to them. It's something that has happened in the past. And so the act that brings about the deliverance has already happened. Paul has already proclaimed it in the churches in Galatians. But chapter 3, we'll see Paul say something really profound. Something that I think just goes through the ages. And even though the Galatians are mentioned... We'll get the idea that it's something for us too. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Coming back to uh, verse 5 here, or verse 6 rather, he says, I'm astonished that you are deserting the one true gospel so quickly. The Galatians have already received a message of deliverance, but Galatians, the book of Galatians, the letter that he is writing, says you've been bewitched. All of these false teachers have bewitched you. They have you some kind of spell is on you because of the false gospel from these false teachers. And he says that he's surprised, he's astonished is the word, that you've fallen away so quickly. So in order for us to understand something about the deliverance that we have, we have to understand why it is that Paul is writing the Galatians. The Galatians have already received the message of deliverance, but they have begun to wander away. And I wonder, are you a Galatian? And before you kind of dismiss that question really, really quickly, I want to ask you this. Are you in a season of thriving? Have you uh, come into a season of great joy Do you feel like your nearness to Jesus is something that is not just expanded, but expanding in the present moment? Or when you think about a time of vitality spiritually, do you have to go back years before you remember a time where you really felt like you were near to our Savior, Jesus? Maybe it is that you're a Galatian. Maybe you heard the gospel. You heard about the freedom. And now, through all of these centuries, you can hear Paul's strong voice saying, Paul, an apostle, not by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. I have authority for you. You've started to wander away. You've started to eke off. You've started to listen to other kinds of teachers and other kinds of gospels. And I just want to shake you and tell you I have authority to call you back to the one true gospel. Here, Paul's authoritative message, not from God, or from God, not from man, to deliver you from evil. And and baked into all this, because here's the truth, when we uh, start a book, there's kind of like this feeling that like the Sunday that you start a book is just like, man, you know, unless you're taking off like a huge chunk, you're pretty much just getting the introduction. Like what can really honestly come out of the introduction? We got it. There's the who's who. He's talking to somebody. We're going to get some, uh, a little bit of context here. No, Paul bakes the gospel right into the first five verses. The beauty and the symmetry of the gospel is here. What does he say? He says that Jesus gives himself for our sins and the Father raises him. Do you see it? Verse four, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, 
And then next, if you go back up to verse 1, you see Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's baking in the gospel right from the beginning. If you want to be delivered from the present evil age, you must believe that Jesus died and that the Father raised him. If you want to be delivered from the present evil age, you have to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that, G, uh, that God the Father raised him from the grave. And this is, this is where we get a little bit of a paradox here. You remember we've been talking about freedom. If, uh, if freedom is like self-actualization, self-determination, if that man there is going to do just fine because he believes in himself, that's a different kind of freedom altogether than what we are talking about. It's a different kind of freedom altogether than what the gospel says. The gospel says that if you want to be free, if you want to fly high, if you want to be freed from the present evil age, you don't have to look inside of yourself and figure out just how much gumption you can kind of gussy up to get out there and do it and make yourself better and make the world better. What he says, if you want to be free, you actually have to submit. If you want to be free, you have to submit. That's a paradox. And it's totally different than what this culture, this present evil age is going to tell you. If you want to be free, you must submit. But submit to what? You must believe, you must have faith that Jesus died and that the Father raised him from the grave. We cannot pretend in this church that freedom is doing whatever you want. We can't do it. If you want to be delivered from the present evil age, you have to submit to something. Freedom cannot be doing anything that you please in a jail cell of this present evil age. You have to understand your predicament. You will be enslaved by freedom or you will be freed by faithful submission. There's no other way. Do not let the sirens, the false teachers, bewitch you by telling you that freedom is found in yourself. We don't have bookstores much anymore, but the largest selection that you can find is on self-improvement. Going there and hearing all of these messages about yourself. But you could walk into a psychologist or psychiatrist's office and hear that the number one way that you will find freedom is if you will just look inside of yourself and be you. Do what you are created to do. Do what you're supposed to be doing. And, and whether it comes by way of somebody uh, really grabbing you and saying, just get it done. Just be disciplined or whether it is uh, somebody coming along and saying, you're really, you're a victim, you can't do it, you haven't done it, you know that you can't do it, but if you just take these small steps, you can get to a place where you're free. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you can't do it. Do not let false teachers bewitch you by telling you that freedom is found in yourself. It can't be true. If you want to get on, like, like this publisher said, if you want to get on in freedom, then do not be one who believes in himself. Ask the question, 
Ask the question that the publisher asks. If man is not to believe in himself, in what is he to believe? And the Christian must find their answer in the person of Jesus. If you want to be free and you're not supposed to look internal, what are you supposed to look at? The Christian's answer is Jesus. Your freedom, your deliverance from the present evil age comes when Jesus breaks the bonds of sin. Your deliverance from this present evil age comes when Jesus breaks the chains of sin in your life. So our free will, our free will faith is where we find freedom. When I use that like free will that I have to choose Jesus, when, when I use whatever amount of like uh, self-actualization that I have to put my faith in Jesus, that's when I'm saved, that's when I'm free. Maybe you'd be tempted to hear that this morning, but what I've got to do is push you to verse 5. This is the Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age according, according to the will of God our Father. That, that, that phrase, according to the will, does a lot of heavy lifting for us. If you're tempted this morning to believe, I get it. You're telling me that I can't find the freedom that I need in myself. What I've got to do is just believe what I want about Jesus. And what I'm telling you is you can't do that either. Why? Because from the very, very beginning, God's will was that he saved you by sending his son to die on a cross for your sins and by raising him from the grave. He accomplished the good news of the gospel, this good news that he gave in authoritative power to Paul the apostle. That gospel he gave by his own will. Not by your will. He didn't ask you for permission. He didn't go and find the other gods out there and say, hey, here's my plan. What do you think about this? It was according to his will that he crucified Jesus and in so doing did away with your sins. And it was by his will. It was according to his will that he actually raised Jesus from the dead. That's what actually happened. We are freed by faith. But here's the twist of the gospel. It's not your faith. Jesus had faith in the will of the Father. And because he had faith, because he trusted the Father, because he was the one that had faith, he was raised from the grave, and we receive forgiveness of sins. So here's the deal. We're going to be really kind of marching through this book of Galatians, and you're going to hear a lot about freedom, but the very first thing that I want to tell you is, is that when we say freed by faith, I don't want you to think about your faith, not initially at least. We're going to be talking a lot about that, but the very first thing that I want you to remember is, is that it was the faith of Jesus in God the Father that allowed for him to say, not my will, but yours be done, and then he goes to the cross experiencing all of the bruises and beating, experiencing all of the judgment that we deserve for our sin, he did that willingly. And he, he, he submitted his will to the Father. He even said, uh, Father, there's got to be another way. Please let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is the one with faith. Do you get it? 
If you are freed by anything, it's not an iota of faith that you conjured up in yourself. It's because before the beginning of time, God the Father had a plan to save you. That is such a better gospel than anything that we could come up with. The, the gospel of like, uh, well, you know, God made me, but I'm pretty autonomous. I've got my own thing going on. I'm building my own kingdom. I'm free, right? But, you know, there's pesky sins that kind of get in the way. But if I just like bring up from inside of myself just enough faith to believe in Jesus, then God will save me. That is a really weak version of the gospel. The really powerful version of the gospel, the one that will see you through the present evil age, the one that will deal with all of your depression, the one that will deal with those situations where you feel slandered and hurt, the one that will deal with uh, the internal longings for a spouse, the one that will deal with the hurt of loss, the one that will really see you into true, complete, everlasting, eternal freedom is the one where God made the plan, and he's seeing it out. He is so much more trustworthy. He is so much more faithful. He is so much more worthy of our faith that here at City Church, we're going to proclaim that it is God's faithfulness that saves us. God is sovereign in saving sinners, and it is such good news. He is faithful. If you want to have a foundation for anything, believe the Apostle Paul and believe that he is the foundation of faith. We are freed by faith. Jesus has the faith and the will of the Father and we are freed from evil. But there are two more things that we really have to hit this morning. And they're really simple I'm going to try to get out of the way so that we can just relish them this morning. The fact is, is that you have to have a foundation of Paul's apostleship, and you have to understand what delivers us from the present evil age. But the last thing that you have to understand is whose grace and whose glory is it? Look at the scriptures. Look at the scriptures. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Whose grace is it, City Church? It's our grace. We get it. It's yours through Jesus' faithfulness. It's your grace. You get to take hold of it time and time again in Scripture. It is God's salvation. It's God's plan that he is like just meeting out in every moment of every person's life. But the moment that you receive this amazing grace through faith in Jesus Christ, it's yours. You get to hold on to it forever. Nobody can bewitch you. You're not going to fall away God's faithfulness to you allows and just gives you abundant grace, sweet, sweet grace, amazing grace, and it's yours forever. That's whose grace it is. Whose glory is it? Is it for us? Do we get the glory? Yeah, a little bit. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. God gets the glory. 
For those of us who want to think that in some way we are the ones building into ourselves some sort of glory, for those of us who go about the daily task of lifting up our name and looking great and building a kingdom and having a family that looks just right and making the right amount of money, and for those of us who want to be just spiritual enough to where everybody around us thinks that we're a godly person, but what we're really doing is just working really hard, very hard at building a spiritual kingdom of our own. Stop it. It's God's glory. You're robbing him of glory. I am robbing him of glory. City Church must not be a place where we rob God of glory. How do we make sure that we're giving God glory? (laughs) Simply by receiving his grace. It's just this beautiful, self-feeding gospel. Give me the grace. Give you the glory. We get the grace. God gets the glory. In conclusion, we are set free from sin by faithfully submitting to our Savior. Jesus Christ gave himself for the purpose of eviscerating our sin in the fire of his death on the cross. Do you know it? Do you believe in it? Do you understand the kind of authority that Paul has to tell you that that is the way that it truly is? This happened according to the will of God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus then endows Paul with the spiritual authority of an apostle to herald this great news so that the Galatians and any other person who might be bewitched or tempted to desert must Listen to the authority that Paul has here in this letter. So what I want to say is don't believe in yourself. Don't trust in yourself. Don't have faith in yourself. Chesterton goes on to say this. He says that complete self-confidence is not merely a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. Complete self-confidence is not a sin. Complete self-confidence is a weakness. If you're trusting in yourself, you know that you fail yourself. If you're thinking that you're just going to bootstrap your spiritual life, you know that that can't possibly end well. Complete self-confidence is not only not a strength, it is a sin, but it's not only a sin, it's weakness. If we flee to the foot of the cross, if we leave our sins there, that Jesus might die for those sins and then be raised on the third day, and you believe it, you believe the authority of Jesus Christ to do that and wash away every sin that you've ever had, not the ones that you want to hold on to, not the ones that you think that, man, I just can't get past this or somebody else is holding this over. If you leave all of those sins at the foot of Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Praise Jesus. It's not a strength. It is a sin, but it is also weakness. I invite you to study the book of Galatians, to receive Galatians as God's authoritative word for you. And as surely as Jesus's faith in God the Father's will freed him from the grave, so also you will be freed by faith. Let's pray. God and Father, you are great and glorious. 
Father God, this body, this group of believers, this very small piece of your church universal wants to have faith in Jesus. We want to believe that he was sufficient as a sacrifice for our sins and that just as he is raised from the grave, no longer entombed, that we can be raised from those sins and set free forever. That we might receive grace through faith and glorify you for all of our days. So Lord, we pray that you would make this truth of the gospel real in our hearts. Lord, would these not just be words that we say, but would you make them deep and abiding affections for us over this next season. Father, so deeply root the gospel in our lives that whatever false teachers might come along and whatever media source they might uh, come along in, whatever friend might be speaking lies to us, tempting us to believe another gospel, Lord, would you allow for us to hear Paul's words over the next few weeks and enjoy them and believe them? Would they become a very part of the constitution of our souls And will we share it together in unity of faith here at City Church? We pray for all of these things in the great and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.